good to see you all here this morning. Pastor Keith is enjoying some warm weather. He's on vacation this week. I'll be here in the pulpit this week and next, so I encourage you to... We're going to be continuing along with our Ephesians uh, series, Called Together. This morning we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4, 7 through 16. And before we get there, I just want to give you a quick recap of where we've been. The past two weeks, Pastor Keith has been talking about unity. He's really set up the whole series about how we are called together into one body. The first week, he looked at just the first three verses of chapter 4, and he, and he showed us seven attitudes for unity. There was humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, love, vigilance, and peace. That's what we all are called together to strive for as we as we get along, as we work together, as we rub shoulders, as we do ministry, as we come alongside each other in our one body. And that's where he was last week as he looked at verses 4 through 6. He gave us seven bonds of unity. And it's pretty much just reading those three verses. Uh, there's one body and one spirit and one hope and one Lord and one faith and one baptism and one God and Father. That's the premise of really the whole book, but especially as we think about this theme of unity. But where we're going this morning is he's, he's taking the, the big view of the universal church, and now he starts to narrow it down, and he's going to start to look at the individuals who make up the body uh, that we call the church. We'll find in verse 15 of Ephesians 4 that Paul tells us, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. And what Paul is telling us is, hey, Christians, there's an expectation of growth. If you are an individual, if you are a member of the body of Christ, there's a direction we are heading. The direction that the individual is heading is the same direction that the body as a whole is heading, and that's into the head, into Christ. We would say simply, we are to become like Christ. We are to emulate Christ likeness. And so this morning, we're going to look at three principles, uh, three principles to help us grow up in Christ. The first principle we'll see in verses seven through 10. The principle is this. The basis of our growth is a gift of grace. The basis of our growth is a gift of grace. Look at verse seven with me. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. This tells me a couple of things right off the bat. The first is this, that every Christian has received grace. Now, this word here, grace, isn't actually referring to our saving grace. This word grace, he's talking about God's specific, His grace, but His merit, His favor, His graciousness. It's talking about a special gifting, a special measure of grace to serve the church. We'll flesh that out as we go along. But the whole purpose of God giving us this grace, giving us this favor, giving us these talents, these abilities, these, in some cases, spiritual gifts, are for the purpose of the church. And we see that it's according to the measure of Christ's gift. It's Christ's prerogative. It's his desire. It's his right uh, to equip the church. And Christ equips the church through.
through his grace. And what his grace supplies is our gifting. Now, this is for sure in terms of spiritual gifts, but this would also refer to our natural talents, our natural abilities, our natural bent that God has created us with for the edification, the growing, the building up of the church. So Christ gives us grace so that we can serve the church. And then Paul does something here in verses 8 through 10, and he tells us the reason the, that Christ holds the authority and holds the power uh, to give us this grace. It's based on the finished work of Christ on the cross. Look at verses 8 through 10. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Verse 8 is a quotation of Psalm 68, verse 18. And it starts to get kind of maybe unfamiliar in verses 9 and 10, and there's parentheses, so maybe it would be easy probably just to run right by it and say, that sounds complicated, let's just move on. But I think there's something important here that I want to point out to you. In quoting Psalm 68:18, Paul is making an application to Jesus Christ. I'll show you Psalm 68:18. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men. But Paul phrases it like this. Therefore it says, speaking of Psalm 68:18, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives And he gave gifts to men. And then verses 9 and 10 describe Jesus and what he did. The description is of Jesus coming to earth. Jesus coming to earth, leaving the heavenly realms, coming down to the lower regions, to earth, living as a man, dying on a cross. And dying on the cross, being buried in the grave, but then rising again, Christ is conqueror. He is conqueror of sin, of death, and the grave. Paul is saying Psalm 68 is speaking of Christ in the future. But what's the picture here in Psalm 68? The picture is of a conquering general, of one who goes out. He goes out and he conquers people and he conquers, he conquers lands. And now he comes back. And as he comes back to his town, to his city, What happens? The people have lined the streets. They're cheering their victorious general. They're throwing gifts, right? In today's, right, we, can I have your autograph? Here, have this, have this. They're just ecstatic because the victor has come home. And then what does the conquering general bring with him? He brings back the spoils of war. He brings back the captives. He also brings back treasures. What does this have to do with Christ. Paul is saying that Christ here is the victor. Christ is the conquering general. When he came and conquered sin, death, and the grave, he now comes and gives gifts to men. Who does he give gifts to? This is what's unique about Christ. Christ gives his gifts to his captives. That seems 
weird. When the king comes back, when the conquering general comes back, the captives are there, the treasures are there, and that's what he gives gifts to men from. But when Jesus comes and he conquers sin and he conquers death, he brings the believers with him and he says, here are the gifts. Because those who were once captive to sin and Satan are now captive to Christ. Those who were once captives of sin are now captives of Christ and the captives of Christ are his people. And as captives of Christ, we get to enjoy the benefits of Christ's victory through grace. This is who we serve. This is why we serve. Christ has blessed us with grace. It's his power. It's his authority. He won it on the cross. He gives it freely to his people. Christ isn't limited by our inability He isn't limited by what we bring to the table. He gives us gifts the same way He saved us, through His grace. When we become captives of Christ, we receive gifts from Him. We remember that Christ has already done the work for us, and that's what spurns us on to do good works, to follow Him, to serve Him. We're all captives of something. And I would say we're either a captive of sin or a captive of Christ. But as we choose to be captives of Christ, we get to enjoy the blessings and the benefits that come from Him. And that produces growth. The basis of our growth, we must not forget, is a gift of grace. But we see the second principle for growing up into Christ. And that's found in verses 11 through 14. The purpose of our gifts is for ministry and for maturity. In verse 11, we see in 12, we see that the gifts that Christ gives are given to the church first for ministry. Look at these verses with me. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Here in verse 11, Paul lists these different giftings. And we definitely see in Scripture the idea of spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12. We read a passage from 1 Peter 4. These are all speaking of spiritual gifts. And while I would say these are spiritual gifts, The individual spiritual gift really isn't in view here. Paul is making a case for the functional gifts that Christ has given to the church. But I'll just take a moment to go through what these gifts are and how they apply uh, to the church. Namely, they're going to apply through ministry and helping us come to maturity. First, you see apostle. An apostle is someone who was sent with a commission This would be speaking of the disciples, those who were eyewitnesses of Christ's ministry and were given a commission from Christ. That's why we see the 12 apostles who followed Christ. We also recognize Paul as an apostle because he has special revelation of Christ and a special commission from Christ. I don't see in this sense that we see uh, apostles as a spiritual gift of today. He goes on and, and he talks about prophets. And here we have um, prophets who 
would be someone who, through a supernatural gifting of the Holy Spirit, proclaims the Word of God. This again would have been a gift to the early church. And it was of prime importance because the early church didn't have the New Testament like we have the New Testament. They couldn't carry around their Bible or their New Testament to church. So they relied on men of God to communicate the message without error. The only way that happens is through the gifting of the Holy Spirit given by God's grace. I think these are foundational gifts to the church. I don't think we see them in this sense in our modern church age. And one of the reasons for that is right here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul says, The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And so Paul's identifying these gifts and saying, This is what Christ gave the church, and this is why they're so important, and this is what they bring to the table. And for the early church, the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself, were essentials. As we get the canon, and as we have received the indwelling spirit, the need for those foundational elements of church is not the same. We then go to evangelists. Evangelists, we start to see the growth of the church. They're building on the truths um, of the apostles, of the prophets of Jesus. They go out and they spread the gospel message. Now, it is true, as believers, we are all called to be evangelists. But there is a spiritual gifting that we continue to see today of those who have been gifted specifically with the gift of evangelism. And then lastly, I see this as one gift, shepherds and teachers uh, with two functions. Um, we, we call the shepherd pastor, or your translation might even say pastors and teachers. And that word pastor means shepherd. It's someone who feeds and leads a flock, but he also teaches. And he is an instructor of the Word of God. And it's through the Word of God that we grow, that we're protected, and that we receive strength. But the point here is not for us to try to figure out, well, where do I fit in these four or five categories? The purpose is to realize, why did Christ give these gifts? And the answer is here in verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. These gifts are all equipping gifts to be used by the saints. This word equipping. It's actually an interesting word because in the Greek it's used in several different ways throughout the New Testament. I'll give you a couple of examples. In Matthew 4.21, this same word is used uh, for mending nets. And then in 1 Thessalonians 3, it's used to talk about um, something that is supplied that is needed. And then in Hebrews 10, it's used talking about how Christ, Christ's body was prepared. And that sounds weird, but I think it's translated as prepared because it's talking about how it was perfectly suited. Christ's body was perfectly suited for that role of Redeemer and Messiah. Um, so what does that tell us about the church and about the gifts? Well, I think what it tells us is that the gifts are to be used for fixing things for mending things that are broken. The gifts are to be used uh, to supply when things are lacking, to fill needs. And the gifts are also used for specific purposes. 
what it does is it tells us that the church as we know it is not perfect, that there's going to be issues, that there's going to be things that maybe go wrong, that maybe look broken, but we have been given the tools and we have been given the gifts to fix those things, to work on those things, to bend those nets or to supply that need, to focus in on a specific purpose. Who does the work? It's not the pastor. It's not just the pastor. It's not just the elders or the deacons. The whole purpose of all these gifts to equip the saints. Who are the saints? Christians. If you read saint in the New Testament, you can just replace it with Christian. That's what it means. So all believers are called to do the work of ministry. Paul's saying that, hey, as you work, you're not only growing as an individual, but the whole body is being strengthened through your work and your growth. Um, so the question is, what are you doing? What's your work of ministry? Where are you involved with? Where do you rub shoulders with people that you are building up the body of Christ? Now, I'm thankful here at the chapel we have a lot of people that do a lot of things. Um, we have men's ministries and women's ministries and children's ministries and Awana programs. We've got um, youth group and we've got nursery. Aren't you glad for the nursery workers? Um, we have elders and deacons and Sunday school teachers and Bible study leaders and home group leaders. We have um, people who serve in the food pantry. We have a handyman ministry. We have people who look after our widows and our widowers. We have people that fill up every little one of those little communion cups on the first Sunday of the month. We have people that crack, open, crack those pieces of bread to put in the communion. We have people that take care of that stuff, that collect the cups. We have people who decorate the church. We have artists. We have craftsmen. We have uh, people who run the soundboard. We have people who work on the computer, who use their gifts musically to serve the church. You guys are should be very thankful for the HVAC guys, Bill Keys, who kept us warm uh, last week in, in second service. Uh, we have people... Uh, who who make coffee in the morning, who work in the library. Uh, there is a host of things that go on here, and that's probably uh, missing people. And that's the point, though. We we don't. There's not just one person that we say, yep, they take care of everything. We're in this together. We work together. We've all been gifted in different ways. And it's not just talking about spiritual gifts. It's talking about your natural talents and abilities that Christ has given you by His grace to be used for the glory of God and the building up of the church. Where are you involved? How are you serving? If you need ideas, I've got a list. Come talk to someone. I'm sure we can find a place where we can plug you in. Maybe you're sitting there and saying, you know what, I would really like to get involved with this, but it doesn't exist. Well, let's go. Let's start it. That's a burden. That could be the Spirit saying, hey, we need you. The body is lacking this, and you can supply this need. This has recently happened with two different things. Um, we have uh, we had a day of serving, a, a day of outreach that's turned into a, a regular ministry of a couple uh, ladies in the church got a burden for helping uh, the homeless, helping those who are on hard times. And so they got together and said, let's do something. And they continue to work. 
Um, we've seen this recently. You heard about the Connections Ministry uh, that we're taking sign-ups for. Uh, that couple, again, people in the church said, you know what, I think I think we need to be able to, to meet some more people. So what do they do? Let's, well, they talk. They came in the office. Here's an idea. Pastor Keith, elders, what do you think? I think it's great. That's how the church is supposed to work. We all are in this together. We're helping each other uh, grow. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. This is how we grow up, build up the body of Christ. An old coach of the Oklahoma Sooners, his name was Bud Wilkerson, uh, he described football as this. Football is 22 people on a field who desperately need rest. And 22,000 people in the stands who desperately need exercise. You see, that shouldn't be the picture of the church. The church was never meant to be a spectator sport. We're all supposed to be on the field together. So verse, verses 13 and verses 14 show us the goal of all this work. The second purpose for our gifts. And that's the gifts are given to the church for maturity. Look at verses 13 and 14 with me. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. As the church grows together, serves together, works together, it becomes unified. It becomes united together in faith as we serve the same Lord and Savior. It becomes united together in knowledge as we learn more and more of who God is and who Christ is. That's how we get back to the beginning that we spent the first two weeks talking about. This is what produces unity in our local church, but also the universal church. It's because we're all growing towards the same end, maturity in Christ. As it relates to our gifts, we all do this in different ways, but it also means that we are united. So, as one commentator puts it, there are no freelance evangelists, independent missionaries, itinerant Bible teachers, or other Christians who have no local fellowship and are responsible to no one but themselves. You see, the unity that is found through our faith in Christ and the knowledge of Him is what enables us to mature and to look more like Christ. We help each other. We shouldn't be disconnected from the body. In the body, united together, is how we exercise our gifts through ministry and how we grow in maturity. If you look at verse 14, there's a warning here. A warning for non-growth. A warning for staying a baby. Paul kind of gives us three word pictures, three descriptions. And the first one is that we may no longer be children. Literally, he says, don't be a baby. Why wouldn't you want to be a baby? Because a baby really can't do anything for themselves. They're wholly dependent on someone outside of themselves to take care of them. And that's fine for a baby, but the natural process of a baby is that they grow, that they mature. And the same is true of a Christian. If you don't grow, which would mean you're not active in ministry and you're not, go, you're not maturing at all, 
there's a danger that we're just going to be like a baby and we're at the mercy of whoever comes our way. He then gives us another picture. He goes out to sea. He says, tossed to and fro by the waves. It's a picture of a boat in the middle of a sea or the middle of the ocean. A storm comes and the waves are raging. And what can the boat do? Not much of anything, but ride it out. And so it just rides this wave and then rides this wave. And it's going back and forth and really no control. That's not where we want to be as Christians as we try to discern what is true. If we just stay babies, we might say, Oh, well, this guy says if I give him money, then I'm going to get all this extra blessing. And the Bible says so. So that sounds good. Here's my money. And then the next day on TV, we, we hear this guy and say, hey, if you will come over here, I'm going to hit you in the forehead and you're going to be healed. And don't worry, the Bible says that, too. And then the next day on TV, you might read something else and you're going back and forth and you're nowhere near the truth. But how would you ever know that? You wouldn't unless you're growing. You wouldn't unless you're around people who are taking care of you and saying, here, let's grow, let's learn, let's help each other. He also says that we would be carried about. This is actually kind of the picture is someone uh, who is lame or is hurt or is injured and gets placed on a stretcher. And they're at the mercy of whoever carries them. You think you're going to the hospital and they're going to throw you over the side of the cliff. You don't know. You're not in control. And that's kind of kind of this idea. He says, don't do that. That's that's not a good place to be as Christians. We may start there, but we need to grow. We need to mature. And that is what will protect us from being tossed like this, from being carried by this, from being deceived by false doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness of deceitful schemes. That's why it's important we look at these principles of growth this morning. The basis of our growth is a gift of grace. The purpose of our gift is ministry and maturity. And then here, as we come to our last two verses this morning, we see that the need of our body, that is the church, is truth and love. Look at verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Paul tells us there's a method to our growth. Grace and service isn't all we need. There's still something more. Yes, it starts with grace. And yes, it works itself out through ministry and maturity. And that happens through truth. In love, we must speak the truth in love. They must go together. We can't divorce truth from love or love from truth. Truth without love leads to ungraciousness. Love without truth leads to unfaithfulness. If you were to take your car in to get a tune up and you go and you get the oil changed and you go to the counter and say everything's good to go. And then you get in your car and you take off and a little while later you find out that you don't have brakes. You make it out of the situation. You go back to the auto place and say, hey, I thought you said that everything was good. I was out on the highway. I didn't have brakes. I could have died. What were you thinking? The guy across the counter says, well, you know, I didn't really want to tell you because I was afraid you might get upset with me. You seem like a guy that takes care of his car and I didn't want to maybe offend you. I want this to be a safe place where you feel loved and where you feel accepted. 
and you'll come back to. You look at the guy and you say, man, you're crazy. When it comes to my car, I need to know the truth. My life is at stake. The same would be true if you go to a doctor for your annual checkup and the doctor says, you're looking good. The next day, you're walking up the stairs to your house or at your business and you clench your chest. You have a heart attack. Once you finally get out of the hospital, you go back to the doctor and say, doctor, you gave me a clean bill of health. What happened? Well, you know, you were in here and... I didn't really want to tell you kind of the real truth there because uh, I didn't really want to offend you. You know, it's kind of bad for business if you go out and tell people that I told you things that didn't really make you feel good. Um, I want this to be a kind of safe place, a place where you feel good and where you feel accepted. And what's the problem with that kind of thinking? You look at the doctor and say, doctor, are you kidding me? I need to know the truth. This is my heart. Tell me the truth. It's the same way as we grow. We need other people to speak truth in love into our lives. We can't grow as a body if we don't work together in faith, in knowledge, in truth, and in love. And that brings us to our last verse this morning. Verse 16 tells us that every part is necessary from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Some of you may fall victim to a common misconception. We've already addressed it a little bit this morning. And that's that you are not needed in the church. If you don't show up, eh, it doesn't really matter. The church goes on. I may miss, you know, a fun song or a good message, but really, you know, no big deal. But this verse says otherwise. This verse says that, no, every part matters. Paul describes it to a body and he says, hey, you know that the body isn't just arms and legs and fingers and a head. No, it's supported by a whole host of other systems. You've got the circulatory system, the nervous system, the lymph system. Symptom. I think there's a song for this. It goes through all the different the systems, right? The digestive system, the endocrine, endocrine. That's why I'm not a chemist or a scientist. I should be able to speak better. The whole point is there's a bunch of stuff that goes on in your body. And if one thing goes wrong with one of those systems, the whole thing suffers. The whole thing suffers. And that's what Paul is saying. You have a responsibility to the body. If you aren't using your body, if you aren't using your giftedness, the grace that God has given you, the church is missing out. You're not doing your part because your part is necessary. And this goes against this whole idea of church is for you. Certainly, there are aspects of church that are for you. Children's ministries and Bible studies, the preaching is for you. But that's not everything there is about the church. You are also for the church. Your prayers, your presence, your gifting, your talents, your support, your witness, they're all essential to grow the body into what it should be, which is a picture of Christ. The challenge this morning is to be a part of the body, to use your gifts 
whatever they may be, in whatever measure Christ has given you, use your gifts for the work of ministry. And then cooperate with others. Be a part of this community so that we are all built up. Built up in love and built into Christ.